Live by Live has all of your favorite music, and you can listen for free. Whether you hit play on one of our hundreds of curated music stations or create your own custom artist radio station, you'll find the music you love on Live by Live. Visit LiveXLive.com or search LiveXLive in the App Store or Google Play and listen for free now. So we may have chosen democracy, but for the next 60 days, we're going to have to live with whatever Trump serves up. And why we were listening to President-elect Biden, news broke that Donald Trump has pardoned Mike Flynn. Mike Flynn, of course, was Donald Trump's first national security advisor. Mike Flynn has been pardoned, granted a full pardon after pleading guilty twice to lying to the FBI. Of all the sordid tales of Trump's presidency, this one might take the cake. Mike Flynn, the country's national security advisor, had conversations with Russian Ambassador Kislyak. They were conversations that, when confronted with two FBI agents inside the West Wing of the White House during the first week or 10 days of Trump's presidency, he lied about. He was later charged and convicted of lying. Bill Barr's Justice Department intervened in the sentencing phase, sought to have the case dismissed. Judge Sullivan held his ground. This whole case was under review before the legal process could wind its way through and justice be served. Donald Trump moments ago announcing that he has granted Michael Flynn, who was convicted of lying to the FBI, a full pardon. This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Maya Culpa podcast. Hello, Dad. I'm in jail. Now that the transition to a Biden administration has formally begun, we can also begin the slow climb back to normalcy. My fear is that Trump has already done so much damage to the institution of the presidency that he has obliterated those norms of government for his predecessors, leaving room for the next Donald Trump to come through the door and inflict awful carnage on this country. Thus, I believe there can be no return to normalcy until Donald Trump is held to account for his many crimes and Trumpism itself as an ideology is repudiated wholesale. How do you balance moving forward with getting accountability? Well, let's be clear, George. The president-elect spoke about this many times during the campaign. And what he made it clear is that Joe Biden is not going to tell the Justice Department who to investigate or who not to investigate. That's what we saw the past four years, the president tampering with the Justice Department, egging on investigations, so on and so forth. He's going to pick an excellent attorney general, an independent Justice Department, and that department will make decisions independently, free of politics, free of political favor in either direction as to how to enforce the laws. That's the way it should be. That's the way it's always been. That's the way it needs to be if we're going to have the kind of rule of law that's so important in our country. In just the past three weeks since the election, 25,000 people have died. This while the president kept up his daily histrionics around election fraud and hid inside the White House. His only public trips were to his own golf courses and to pardon a turkey in the Rose Garden a few days before Thanksgiving. Right now, There is no real way to hold him accountable for his gross neglect and incompetence other than at the ballot box. Are you stupid or something? Stupid is, stupid does, sir. With that, 
The people spoke vociferously and voted the man out of power. But now comes the hard part. How do we make certain a creature like Donald Trump never emerges again from the swamp? It's simple. He must be prosecuted and put behind bars for his past crimes. We must once and for all close the book on Trump and his crime family, treating them like they are indeed the mob and Trump himself the boss of bosses. If anything in this life is certain, if history's taught us anything, it says you can kill anyone. Although Biden has said that prosecuting a former president would be a very unusual thing and probably not very good for democracy, he also vowed in an NPR interview in August that he wouldn't interfere with the Justice Department's judgment of whether or not they think they should pursue the prosecution of anyone that they think has violated the law. With Republicans likely to retain control of the Senate, Biden's nominee for attorney general will be sure to face tough questioning during confirmation hearings about the new administration's intentions towards Trump. And Republican-led committees could strike back by ramping up the investigations of Biden and his family's finances that they'd already begun. Okay, the Senate Homeland Security Committee moving forward now with its investigation of Joe Biden's son, Hunter, despite objections from Democrats in a party-line vote, the committee authorizing a subpoena for documents related to Hunter Biden's consulting work in Ukraine. On January 20th, Trump will lose both his executive privilege and the immunity from federal criminal indictment that sitting presidents are granted under Justice Department policy. Prosecutors could revive the investigation into campaign finance violations that resulted in my three-year sentence and re-examine the instances of possible obstruction of justice that former special counsel Robert Mueller uncovered in his probe into Russia's 2016 election interference. So we're going to be in a very different situation. Um, we're going to be, as of January 20th, 2021, in a situation where we no longer are talking about indicting the president, but rather a former president, somebody who is a civilian. And the question is going to be, does the rule of law apply to that person? There is substantial evidence that the president obstructed justice. In other words, obstructed the special counsel investigation. And to me, that's even more important to vindicate. If you are not going to hold a president accountable for a special counsel investigation obstruction, then there's no reason to actually um, have a special counsel in the future. Now, there's the precedent that you're setting in the future is don't bother appointing a special counsel because um, there isn't going to be any accountability to a president who obstructs that investigation. The potential pitfalls for Biden or a Biden-appointed attorney general in prosecuting Donald Trump for his most egregious crimes are enormous and would degenerate into a partisan circus. It would also distract the new president from enacting his own agenda and moving the country forward away from Donald Trump. But to not do so, to allow Trump to simply hover above the law and get away with high crimes and misdemeanors is to embolden all future despots who are watching and thinking that they could do better. Again, the only way to wash away the stain of Trumpism is to put it behind fucking bars. So in the very near future, America is going to have to answer this question. Should Donald Trump be prosecuted for his crimes? Let's talk about that. Because the future health and vitality of the rule of law 
like justice, matters. This means the appointment of a special prosecutor, a Republican, beyond reproach, to chair a bipartisan group whose aims are to bring Trump, his family members, and enablers to account for their actions. It simply has to happen. But Biden should step away and not touch it for even one second, as it will drag him down into the abyss. His job will be to create the structure for the investigation and then let it follow its own course. The progressive wing of his party will demand that this happens or will exact its own toll from the Biden administration for their dereliction of duty. But under DOJ, under Department of Justice policy, the president could be prosecuted for obstruction of justice crimes after he leaves office, correct? True. All of this, though, may be moot if Trump manages to pull off a last-minute pardon from Vice President Pence. There is a scenario where Trump would resign, for whatever reason, a few days or a week before the inauguration, allowing Pence to take control and offer the president a pardon. At the same time, Trump is exploring the possibility of simply pardoning himself, like a fucking Thanksgiving turkey, for all crimes he may have committed past and present. Regardless, prosecuting Donald Trump at the federal level, no matter how tantalizing, will prove to be an enormously difficult task. Michael. Difficult, not impossible. The closest parallel to the choice facing the Biden administration is President Gerald Ford's pardoning of Richard Nixon in 1974. In his speech announcing his decision, Ford expressed concern that Nixon's status as a former president meant he might receive excessively harsh rather than equal treatment under the law. Ford also said he wanted to draw a line under years of bitter controversy and divisive national debate, which he feared a drawn-out prosecution of Nixon would continue to inflame. Finally, I feel that Richard Nixon and his loved ones have suffered enough and will continue to suffer no matter what I do, no matter what we as a great and good nation can do together to make his goal of peace come true. Now, therefore, I, Gerald R. Ford, President of the United States, pursuant to the pardon power conferred upon me by Article 2, Section 2 of the Constitution, have granted, and by these presents do grant, a full, free, and absolute pardon unto Richard Nixon for all offenses against the United States which he, Richard Nixon, has committed or may have committed or taken part in during the period from July 20, 1969 through August 9, 1974. Trump will have a massive and deep-pocketed parallel government at work in his Republic of Magistan, operating from its Mar-a-Lago capital. There will be a 24-7 Trump news network and millions of Trump supporters who will see this prosecution as illegitimate. I believe the fight, while justified, will engulf the nation and the Biden administration for its duration and potentially set up Trump for a return to power in 2024, a truly terrifying turn of events. In 2020, 
Instead, I'm putting my faith in the state and local courts where a Trump pardon would be null and void. It also is the scene of the most egregious crimes from his organization. Both Governor Andrew Cuomo and the New York Attorney General Tish James are chomping at the bit to put Donald Trump behind bars. Cuomo probably more than any man alive. He hates Donald Trump on a personal level that goes far beyond politics and I believe will do everything in his power to put him there. Cyrus Vance Jr., the district attorney from Manhattan, is currently investigating what his office calls possibly extensive and protracted criminal conduct at the Trump Organization. As the legal fight over Donald Trump's taxes continues, the deeper the investigation into his financials seems to be getting. A new filing by Manhattan District Attorney Cy Vance reveals that his office is also now looking into possible bank and insurance fraud by Trump and his company. It's a broader scope than we first knew, and it comes as Vance continues to argue that the president must comply with the subpoena for eight years of his taxes. Beyond Trump's taxes, Vance appears to be probing whether Trump provided insurers and banks with false statements about his financial position in order to receive lower premiums and interest rates on loans. Of all the potential indictments, it's the Vance investigation that I believe causes Trump to lose sleep at night. Besides the horror of actually having to open up eight years of his personal income tax statement, Vance is accumulating a vast roadmap of criminality for which Trump must answer. Uh, that Donald Trump's chief operating officer, Matthew Calamari, yes, Trump's chief operating officer's last name is Calamari, uh, his his accountant, essentially, <laughs> of course Alan Weisselberg, <laughs> and, and, yeah, and Ron Lieberman, another executive, all had knowledge of Trump routinely inflating the value of his assets uh, in order to get bank loans and insurance policies. While probing the hush money payments to adult film star Stormy Daniels, Manhattan prosecutors cited my House Oversight Committee testimony alleging that Trump had falsified the value of his assets in order to receive bank loans as the basis for their widening investigation. At the heart of all of this will be what's inside Trump's personal income tax returns and the paper trail of criminality it provides. New York Attorney General Letitia James separately announced in August that she was investigating whether Trump and the Trump Organization improperly manipulated the value of certain assets to secure loans and obtain tax benefits to which they otherwise would not have been entitled. The investigation includes question that involves at least four properties, including the Seven Springs Estate in Westchester, New York, originally built by Eugene Meyer, a former publisher of the Washington Post. The president's son, Eric Trump, who is currently running the business, sat for a deposition in the investigation last month and is about as smart as a bag of shit. It's likely a perjury trap was set for Eric from the outset, which he walked right into with all of his false bravado. One by one, they're going to get all of them, and they won't rest until they do. Hello, Dad. I'm in jail. Hello, Dad. I'm in jail. President-elect Joe Biden will succeed the most corrupt president in American history. Everyone from Richard Nixon to Warren Harding pales in comparison. Donald Trump presided over the degradation of the rule of law. 
He doled out favors to wealthy allies in exchange for their support and misappropriated government resources for personal gain, bilking millions from the government and his own supporters over the last four years. In a searing New York Times piece, the writer posited that Trump's conduct as president was a product of his unique character, but it was also enabled by the office. The accumulation of decades worth of lawmaking, legal theorizing, and historical precedent had given the president almost total freedom from accountability, rendering useless any seemingly applicable tool of law enforcement. The powers we gave to the executive branch and in turn to the president did not contemplate or even fathom that the office would be occupied by a figure so venal and corrupt that he would use the laws protecting that office to fill his or her pockets and create a bulletproof criminal organization that's above the law. Donald Trump criminalized the Oval Office by dragging it down into the mud pit in which he wallows like a fat fucking pig feeding from the trough. <laughs> to not prosecute Donald Trump is to absolve him of any and all wrongdoing and simply exonerate him for his past crimes and excesses. My next guest believes this would be a terrible mistake and calls Trump no less than the fugitive in the White House and believes the president needs to go to prison. Frank Figluzzi worked as the FBI's assistant director for counterintelligence for over 25 years and was known as America's preeminent spy catcher. In addition, Figluzzi was the keeper of the code and was appointed the FBI's chief inspector by then-director Robert Mueller. Charged with overseeing sensitive internal inquiries, shooting reviews and performance audits, he ensured each employee met the Bureau's exacting standards of performance, integrity, and conduct. Today, he writes a weekly national security column for MSNBC and will release his first book in January entitled The FBI Way, which imparts his lessons from guiding the Bureau into an overall study of leadership. Figluzzi has watched with horror as Trump has trampled over every democratic norm during his time in office, abused his power, obstructed justice, and profited from his position. In short, Trump is the worst president we've ever had and most likely a criminal in desperate need of prosecution. In a fascinating and wide-ranging interview, Figluzzi lays out his case against Donald Trump, William Barr, and Rudy Giuliani. So let's listen now to that conversation. So Frank, thank you so much for joining us today on Mea Culpa. And we're going to dive straight into this because we need your perspective. You've called Donald Trump a barricaded subject in the White House. And with his latest move to bully GOP legislators into, into overturning state vote counts, he's taking extraordinary steps to invalidate this election and to reinstall himself for a second term. If you were observing this election and the aftermath as if it were happening to a foreign country, what would you say in your presidential daily briefing? Wow, a lot, a lot to unpack in that question, but I think the, the, the short answer is I would automatically assume that we would be talking about a banana republic, a third world country. I would thank God that we have checks and balances in place to not become that country. Um, and, and I would advise our, our president that we need to give all due support in any shape to ensure that democracy flourished and survived. 
in that country we were talking about. Now, obviously, we're talking about the United States right now in that hypothetical, and it's no longer hypothetical. We are fighting for no less than our democracy right now. And Michael, when I used the phrase barricaded subject, I was hearkening back to my FBI days. And I was saying, look, this, this situation looks an awful lot. You would be negotiating with a real barricaded subject who has hostages. And Trump, of course, is that guy I'm referring to. And you would start out as Joe Biden started out, which is a, an open discussion, listening, letting the guy vent. You don't want any hostages hurt, right? You'd listen to his demands. Maybe you try to meet some of them. But then eventually the demands would be so outrageous and the damage, even killing of hostages, would be such that you'd have to tell the guy this can happen the easy way or the hard way. But you're coming out of there and the SWAT team is surrounded the building that we've approached that moment. Well, and what about the second part to the question about trying to reinstall himself for a second term using this invalidation of the electorate? Yeah, look, that, look, this, throughout the, the, the course of his term, he's accused many people of committing treason, sedition, right? He's thrown that term around, not understanding the legal definition of it. But now I have to tell you, what he's doing is coming a lot closer to the definition of treason or sedition um, than anyone he's ever accused of doing it. And what I fear the most is not that he'll actually literally have a continuing second uh, term here, but that he's going to, he's, and you, boy, you, I'm preaching to the choir perhaps here. I want to hear your thoughts on this, but I fear more the, the, the shadow presidency that I think we're headed to. He's talking about a digital platform. He's talking about immediately announcing a campaign for 2024. That makes him a, a kind of shadow president with 70 million voters, right, for him that actually could do real serious damage um, over the course of the next four years, regardless of whether he's still sitting in the Oval Office. He's a, he's a danger. He's a danger to not just this country, but really to the world, because he doesn't care. That's the problem. This is a man who lacks any moral judgment. He has no empathy. And this is really, as I've said so many times, it's nothing more than a cash grab. I remember sitting with Donald once in the office, and we were talking about the Clinton Foundation. There was an article that came out, I believe it was the New York Times, that reported that the Clinton Foundation was set up that only 10% of the foundation money had to actually go to a charity and the other 90% were discretionary. And I remember the look on his face, you know, that look when, you know, his mouth puckers, his eyes sort of flutter, flutter in or something like if he was sucking on a lemon and someone farted in his face, right? That sort of look. And he's like, how do we do that? How do I get something like that? Well, guess what, folks? That's exactly what he's fucking doing right now. It's exactly what he's doing. Make no bones about it. And I hope that there are some listeners on right now that are listening to this podcast that are now going to change their mind about sending a single dollar because he intends on using this defense fund, this bullshit defense fund, as a means for him to basically create another slush fund very much like he did with the Trump Foundation that was ultimately shut down by the Attorney General. You know, on any given day now, I vacillate between supreme annoyance that we have to continue 
to watch this wasteful and frankly dangerous charade play out. And then actual fear that Trump will somehow manage to pull off a coup and then remain in power. Now, I know that it's unlikely, but until Biden is inaugurated, we have to live with the specter of uncertainty. That's what Trump does. He's creating the specter of uncertainty. So please discuss with me what game you think Trump is playing with this last ditch move to pressure the state legislators. Yeah, I, um, you know that I come at things, Michael, largely through a, a national security lens because of 25 years in the FBI. So I, what I see him doing is an awful lot like the right out of the Putin playbook, where the Russian intelligence services are all about um, propaganda and, as they say, controlling the battlefield. In this case, the battlefield is the American mind. And so what I see as a strategy here, if he has one at all, is to essentially create so much doubt and distrust of the election outcome that he maintains his base of followers even after leaving office so that he can have a successful digital platform. And, and really, this is about his, his legacy. He, you know this far better than I, but I see a man who cannot even fathom a defeat of any kind. And so he needs to delegitimize Biden as he thinks he was delegitimized through impeachment. So we have a lot of that going on here. And it's extremely dangerous because what does the FBI do when they're trying to negotiate with someone who's dangerous and barricaded with hostages? They, they, there's behind the scenes, there's an intel group that is trying to learn as much as possible about this guy's mindset, right? How dangerous is he? How likely is it that he will kill the hostages or burn the building down or start shooting outside? And in this case, we have a track record of this barricaded subject. And you, you lived it. You worked with him. And what I assess from afar is that he's extremely dangerous. This is a guy who, you know, if you think one of the meaningful measures of a man is the degree he'll go to protect his family, this is a guy who got his family sick with COVID. This is a guy who has possibly exposed criminally his daughter to, to charges of tax fraud, evasion, etc. cetera. He, he doesn't care. And if he doesn't care about his family and he doesn't care about his nation, I would assess him as a behavioral guy, right, and a barricaded subject, I would assess him as absolutely capable of killing the hostages and burning the place down. And that would be our democracy and our election and our trust of it. Burning it down so long as there's a benefit for him, because that's how Donald Trump thinks in transactional ways. Unless that there's a benefit for him, you're right. He's willing to throw Don Jr. under the bus and Don will go. And then Eric will go next, saving Ivanka for round three. But rest assured, as I have said before, Ivanka will go to prison before Donald lets himself go to prison because it's all about him. And it's an absolutely, to me, it's a, it's a, it's, it's opposite as I could possibly think of in my own life and in terms of what had happened to me when the Southern District of New York threatened me that they were going to file an 85-page indictment that was going to include my wife. Once they brought my wife into the picture, I was like, here you go. No problem. What, do you, what else do you want me to say? That I was involved with the Lindbergh baby kidnapping or maybe the Lufthansa heist? Whatever it is, I don't care. Just stay away from my wife and my family. This is a man who doesn't care about anyone or anything other than himself. And that includes money.
you, you hit it right on the head. Um, eventually, uh, even it, with all of the subjects of investigations that I've dealt with and supervised cases with and white collar cases, particularly corruption cases, there's only been the smallest handful of times where we've made an approach to a subject and said, look, um, your family is involved here. Have you thought about the impact on the family? In one case, in particular, a very high-ranking politician, we have made an approach and said, look, will you consider stepping out of office and avoid all this ugliness? Um, we've got you, and now your son's exposed. And the guy just looked us in the eye and said, go for it, go for it. So we did. And my point is that tells us volumes about where this guy is coming from. I, I, um, I, I want to, at some point, Michael, we should, we should talk since, since now you're being, you're, you're, you're engaged in conversation with an FBI agent and there's been no Miranda warning. I, I want to, yeah, exactly. I want to ask you this question because I, this, for large portions of my career, I was involved in professional standards in the FBI. Um, ethics, integrity, and the reputation of the FBI has been so damaged as an institution by this president. I want to just ask you a little bit about how the FBI treated you um, as, an, as people, as an institution, and any observations you've got about that, realizing that we have been in a period of time where Trump has set fire to our institutions from the Centers for Disease Control to the DOJ and surely to the FBI. Well, this is a significant part of what my second book is going to be about, where I am going to dig deep into the members of the prosecutor's team, into the judge, into the FBI, into the warrant, into the magistrate that signed that 480-page warrant at 9.30 p.m., on a Sunday before a Monday raid. I'd like to know why the FBI continued to investigate me after they knew that I had never been to Prague, I had never been to Russia, never been through Germany, or any of the other allegations that were raised in the Steele dossier. I'd like to know why Jeff Sessions, who was recu had recused himself at the time, permitted Andrew Weissman to then take my case and forward it down to the Southern District of New York which turned out to be a tax case whereby, I want you to hear this, not only do I not have an overseas business like Manafort did, I've never had an overseas business. I've never had an overseas bank account. I've never had an overseas nominee. I've, they, out of the 14 million documents that they took from me, there was absolutely zero fake invoices or wire transfers. And yet they still managed to somehow get the right to get a hold of my Gmail account, my family's iCloud account, as well as put a pen register on my phone to see who is calling me, right? And yet they charged me with tax evasion when every single mistake, and there was a mistake, which I am now suing my accountant, Jeff Getzel. That case is in the courts for malpractice. I cannot understand why they kept investigating me when they knew that at the time that the allegation of me being in Prague, I was at USC with my son who was hoping to play baseball for USC. And that was confirmed. And all these conspiracy theories came out. Now, these are the negatives. I do have to say, though, despite what Trump tweeted about, 
when they raided my home, the hotel, my law office, and my safety deposit box, I had contradicted the president for the first time in that response to his tweet. They treated me professionally and courteous. And each and every one of those FBI agents was a true gentleman, even the women. <laughs> they were all professional and they were they and with honor. They handled it with total honor, despite him making allegations they kicked down the door and that they roughed me up. That is another Donald Trump lie. So I have the utmost of respect for the job that the FBI has to do. However, and I think you'll acknowledge this, there's always there's always a fucking rat and a piece of garbage in any institution. And I believe that many of them will ultimately have to face the gavel themselves for the things that they did on my case, because I all of a sudden get charged with tax evasion. And yet I have never filed a late tax return in my life. I have never asked for an extension in my life. Now, was there an error? Yes, there was an error. But every single dollar on that error was either in Capital One Bank or in First Republic Bank. And every single dollar was identified on bank statements that I had given to my accountant, Jeffrey Getzel. I gave to him. And despite all of that, they still charged me with tax evasion. So I said, listen, I'm not putting my wife in jeopardy because I saw the vitriol and the fury that the Southern District wanted and needed to have so that they can continue their 98% conviction rate. And I wasn't taking a chance when it came to my wife. And I said, fuck it, no problem. Here's my risk. Just tell me what you want me to do. And so they wrote out the allocution. Mind you, this whole thing happened on Friday, August 17th. And I was given until the 20th of August, two days later, to appear in the Southern District and plead guilty. Otherwise, they were going to pull me out of my apartment and they were going to indict me with my wife. And so not a chance. I love her too much and I wasn't going to put her in that situation. But, you know, let me just move on here for a second. And I hope I answered your question. But in all fairness, the vast, vast majority of FBI agents are qualified, they're dignified, they're honorable, and they're professional. And thank God that we have them because this country would not be this country without them. Well, come, so come, just, I know we're going to move on, but coming from you, obviously, even with your obvious disdain for what happened and the process and the way it was done, I think it's extremely important to hear that. And I'll, I'll end by saying this, when your book comes out, um, I will not only read it, but I will offer to sit down with you um, and we can do it right here in this forum if you'd like, and we can go through it um, with my perspective and your perspective and try and figure that out. Well, I appreciate that because it's something that while I sat in my cubicle in prison, day in and day out staring at these six inch by six inch pale cinder blocks, I couldn't understand. How is it a person who has never had a tax issue in his entire life? How is it somebody who has never filed a late tax return, has never had an overseas bank account? How can I be charged with tax evasion? What? How? And I've never been able to figure it out. They needed, and then I figured it out when I was home 
and then remanded back the second time, that this is all being done by, by Donald Trump, that he's masterminding this in the back. And you say, no, nah, come on, come on. It's how, why? The reason is so that he can have and say something that is away from him. This has nothing to do with me. Michael committed tax evasion. That's why he went to jail, right? Despite the fact that what was really at the center of everything, which I am responsible for, and I own it, was the hush money payments, the campaign finance violations, and lying to Congress, which I did at the direction of and for the benefit of Donald J. Trump, right? So they needed to add things to it that had nothing to do with Trump so that he could say, oh, it had nothing to do with me, nothing. It only had to do with Michael and his business. Bullshit. Hey, if we, if we had more people in the Trump orbit that manned up and owned what they stood on um, and nothing more, we wouldn't be in this mess right now. We would have people who were accountable, people who had a conscience, and people who were capable of self-reflection and, and rehabilitation. And we simply, you, you are an outlier, unfortunately, in that orbit. Well, thank, thank you, Frank. So now I just want to go back to speaking of the presidential daily briefings, something which I understand that they do with Donald with a piece of paper and a crayon. Until there's an ascertainment from the GSA of an election winner, the actual transition remains in limbo. And that means the Biden administration cannot begin receiving the vital intelligence briefings or coordinate on pandemic-related matters. Now, the issues surrounding the subject are now well known, but from a counterintelligence and national security standpoint, please describe to me what's being lost at this current moment as the transition is stalled and what may be the repercussion. Yeah, I, I liken this a little bit to telling a pilot that he's going to have to fly the plane at night with no instruments. Um, essentially, we are flying blind. And when I say we, I don't mean that I'm, you know, I'm in bed with Biden. Rather, I mean, the entire country has no leadership that is truly plugged in at the top to the daily intelligence brief. I, I, we all know that Trump isn't getting this in a fulsome, thorough, honest way on a daily basis. And now we have a president-elect who isn't getting it either. And, and here's what, what that means. It means that the threat that is facing this country, and this country, and it is a plural, it's the threats from, from terrorist organizations domestic organizations, foreign hacking, domestic hacking, and the number one threat of the virus. None of that is going to smoothly transition with a, like a baton handoff in a relay race. It's we're, it, The odds of dropping that baton as soon as Biden takes over is very, very high. And, and there's more to it than just the presidential daily brief. There's more to it th than the GSA not ascertaining an apparent winner to, than just the PDB. There is an entire process of transition, millions of dollars in funds that goes toward allowing Biden to embed a staffer at a high level in every one of the key agencies of government. So, for example, my prior agency, you would embed someone appropriately at FBI headquarters. They would begin to learn the inner workings of that agency, how it's changed since Biden left office, what the pending threats are. And with this president, I believe that we would learn, Biden would learn, and I, and I think this is part of why Trump doesn't want his team 
getting these kinds of briefings and exposure. We would probably learn that, you know, sir, um, the FBI is not being allowed to brief the following threats to Congress because Barr is stopping us. Sir, we can't get anything Russia related into the White House. Sir, we, there's a there's a pending attack with chatter about this terrorist group and Trump doesn't want to hear it. Or we have the following investigative and intelligence um, related material that pertains to this president or people around him and we can't get action on it. I think that is being suppressed and it will never be exposed um, if we're not allowed to have that transition period. Unbelievable, right? Think about this from an irony standpoint. The ironic part is that there's widespread fear that foreign interference in the 2020 election would cast a widespread doubt about its legitimacy. But Russia, it seems, largely sat on the sidelines of this election, and then they watched Donald Trump do their work for them. Discuss with me how Trump's M.O. of sowing chaos and division used closely to that of Vladimir Putin's aims for undermining the nation's elections. Yeah, we, we can't forget that Vladimir Putin was a career KGB officer. That's where he comes from. And what is the number one goal of the Russian intelligence service besides furthering the interests of Russia? It's to sow discord and chaos in their adversaries, defeat them not militarily, which they long ago decided they couldn't really do, but defeat them from within. And so that Putin playbook is something that Trump simply echoes and mirrors. And now it's an echo chamber. You can't tell anymore, Michael, whether whether Putin has told Trump to do this or whether Trump has simply said, I figured this out myself and and Putin's playing off of him. But I want to you, you made a comment that I want to talk about when you talked about it looks like Russia may have sat on the sidelines during this election. There, there's an untold story or a, a lesser told story. And I just wrote a column on this. It it was published yesterday. Uh, I do a regular column for MSNBC Daily, which is their digital platform. I talked about the firing of Chris Krebs at uh, the Computer Security and Infrastructure uh, Agency. So there's a battle going on, and it's a, it's, a, it's a cyber battle. It's the new battleground we're in. And this guy, Chris Krebs, um, he and the U.S. Cyber Command, General Paul Nagasone over at NSA, they are heroes. There will be a movie written someday about the takedown of Russian and Iranian hacking capabilities. They embarrassed the hell out of Vladimir Putin. They destroyed what was about to happen. And it's, there's been some reporting on it, and, and you can check out my, uh, my column on that. But I'm telling you, what really pissed Trump off with the firing of Chris Krebs um, was not so much that Chris Krebs publicly challenged him about how secure the election was, but that Chris Krebs stopped, was part of the machine that stopped the Russians in their tracks from helping uh, 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 Trump. And it, it's, a, it's the equivalent of a military battlefield victory. Wow. Because I, I, I saw that, by the way, um, on MSNBC on Wednesday, when you specifically said, if you take out Chris Krebs and the number two guy resigns, now you've got no leadership at the helm to stop the propaganda that people are buying into that this whole election was rigged. Continue with the, continue with the conversation um, and discuss with me the larger implications of this move by Trump 
and why it stirred even Trump Republicans to grow more alarmed. Exactly. Because the people who are in the know, if you're sitting on the Senate Intelligence Committee, for example, and you're getting the briefings, it's curling your hair. You understand we are under threat. You understand that Russia and others absolutely tried to mess with the 2020 election. And so when you when you lose Krebs and you and his number two guy resigns in, in protest, it's not only looking back at what they did that upset Trump, but he now understands that they are capable of stopping things moving forward, meaning this whole nonsense about the, the election is fixed, coronavirus is a hoax, et cetera, et cetera. That gets pumped up and, and breathed, you know, life gets breathed into it. How? Through social media, propaganda, hacking coming from Russia and others. And if you, if you take the leadership out at that agency, you, you lose the momentum. You take away the momentum of that agency's capability of stopping that kind of continuous cyber assault that pumps Trump up. Because he doesn't care. This is what we talk about all the time, whether it's I'm on MSNBC or CNN or ABC, NBC, CBS, or in the newspaper. Donald Trump just doesn't care. If that means that Russia is somehow able to get into our computer system at the Pentagon and he's no longer president, if that will cause Joe Biden's administration a headache or an inability to achieve success, he's all in. See, Donald Trump is the kind of guy that gets angry that, let's say, an airline was doing better than his. And so he takes that plane in order to see why it's better, but hopes that the plane crashes because then it'll be a negative mark on that company. That's how stupid and myopic that the man actually is. There's no real thought into what he's doing. And, you know, in furtherance of that, you know, it's likely that these firings will continue for the next 60 days until Trump is satisfied with the loyalty of those that surround him. Because, look, I've seen it for over a decade. You know, it's all about, in his mind, loyalty, which I've also said is like First Avenue here in Manhattan. It's one way. Loyalty with Trump only goes one way. And it's not even loyalty that he wants. He wants complete loyalty, where you don't think anymore. He says you do. Now, do you believe that his next move will be to take aim at the FBI director, Christopher Wray, or CIA head, uh, Gina Haspel? I, I do. And I, I, my, my gut tells me, Michael, that probably even as we speak, someone is trying to trying to take that phone out of his hand so he can't tweet a termination notice to Chris Ray or, or to Haspel. I, I think to him, they represent everything that he disdains and, and he feels threatened by. Truth, justice, rule of law, and knowledge, right? CIA is the knowledge and intelligence side. The FBI is the truth, investigative, justice side. He hates that. And if he can burn their houses down by getting rid of them, as he did with Chris Krebs, I believe he will do it. And further damage will be done to those institutions, because God help us 
if someone is named, even even for I don't for a goddamn week, Michael, if someone is named FBI director, that is uh, Janine Judge Janine Pirro or uh, you know uh, Rudy Giuliani, who the hell knows? It's a disgrace. It's a disgrace. And the men and women of the FBI and the American people would deserve better than that. They do deserve better. You're a hundred percent correct, and I really hope that it doesn't happen because the level of intellect in order to run an organization like the FBI or the CIA is so significant that neither Jeanine Pirro and, and definitively not Rudy. I mean, Rudy can't even find, you know, a hair product that's not going to drip down his face, right? I mean, sweating like, like a pig profusely. I, I mean, this is not the man that I think that the FBI can stand up and say, hey, that's our leader. Now, <laughs> Frank, you wrote an opinion piece recently um, for MSNBC that discusses how extremism might grow in a post-Trump universe. Trump's next move may be even more dangerous than his presidency, is something that you said. Thus far, there's been little post-election violence from these sort of MAGA groups, most likely because they believe in Trump's unsubstantiated fraud claims and are holding out their hopes for victory. Now, as somebody who spent a good deal of their career fighting these types of groups, what worries you most about the current moment and what can we expect in the future? Yeah, I, I, thanks for asking that because it, we, you know, I, I got paid for 25 years uh, to, look, to look forward at, at threats and predict uh, and prepare for the worst and, and then work toward the best. And, and here's what I see as the worst, which is you've got a man um, who's a disgruntled, essentially he's the equivalent of a disgruntled employee who's going to be fired, right? We're going to fire Trump. He's upset. He's going to start a digital media company. Um, that means he's going to start it quickly. This isn't like starting a cable network, right? He can just ramp it up and go online. He'll have he'll have uh, millions of people. I, I, what's he got? Ten million people, a hundred million on Twitter. One hundred million people on social media. And by the way, not to interrupt you, Frank, but that media company already exists. I believe that he's going to um, merge into, say, Newsmax with um, Chris Ruddy, uh, where there's already an existing platform. Start stealing over some of the folks like a Sean Hannity um, or. Uh, what's her name? Megan Kelly, who's dying for a job somewhere. That's what he's going to do. And with his hundred million, you know, followers. Now, I've, I talked about this on a recent podcast as well. Even though he has a hundred million followers, he doesn't have a hundred million supporters, but his base is ballpark 38 and a half to 40 percent. That's still 40 million people at 499 a month to listen to his bullshit, which people will do. That, my friends, is 200 million a month. A month. That's so, more money than Donald Trump has made in his whole life. And he knows that. And so when you ask this in the context of extremism, the future of groups like QAnon, the future of groups like Proud Boys, violent militia organizations, and, you know, there's good news, bad news. The, the, I liken this whole following to a cult, and I know that upsets people, but I'm telling you, when, when you'll endanger your family, when you think of deadly virus as a hoax, um, and you're, you're believing that the world is controlled by flesh-eating 
pedophile cannibals. You're, you're in a cult. Let, let's, let's be real. And so the good news about a cult is that it tends to fade very quickly when its leader um, uh, goes away, either through, you know, uh, demise um, is called out as, a, as a, a farce. Guess what? This leader of this cult isn't going away. He's going on steroids when he, when he be, gets a media platform. And there's another aspect to this. He simultaneously claims, I'm a candidate for 2024. So now, reasonable Republican Party who might have come out, if there are any reasonable Republican leaders left, and, and might have come out and said, okay, I challenge, I challenge this guy. I'm running in 2024, and I'm a reasonable human being. Well, guess what? They, they're up against the guy who's already, who's already claimed he's running. He automatically becomes the front runner for the party. The party has got to figure out a way to jettison him, and it's going to be next to impossible when he's, while he's simultaneously running a digital media empire. Right, and that job, I believe, is going to be left into the hands, the capable hands of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and the Democratic leadership that will ultimately make sure that our genius-in-chief does not get the play that he wants. And I believe that that's going to happen based upon the multitude of litigation that's going to ensue the second that he walks out of the Oval Office on January 20th or as soon as the inauguration of Joe Biden takes place. But here's my, my Michael, here's my question on that, right? I, and that, that's a very hopeful thing. And I'm, I'm hoping um, that indictments, prosecution, holding him legally accountable for the crimes that he's committed before, during and following the presidency all needs to happen. But I've also I've also seen in my FBI career where, particularly in cults or organized crime families, um, the guy who did his time in prison, the guy who is perceived as as misunderstood, harangued, prosecuted for harassment purposes by the government, he gains stature. He becomes legendary. The same happens in drug drug cartels. You know, do your time. The, the man's after you, but you come back and we promote you. I get concerned that he becomes even more legendary. Now, if he's sitting in, in, in federal prison or state of New York prison, then he's going to have a problem. But, but, but short of that, think of all of the, 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 the press conferences he can hold, right? I'm, I'm be, I have an arraignment today. I had a hearing today and the judge is corrupt, right? This goes on and on and on. Well, you know, it's funny. You're 100% correct, Frank. But when I refer to him as the genius in chief, I want to just for a second talk to you about something that happened today. And it just goes to show how unhinged that Donald Trump is right now. So there's a tweet that came out from somebody that has the same last name as him. And it said it's his sister, Betty Trump. And it's at the real Betty Trump or the, it's Betty Trump. And he retweets it. It's not his sister. And it's just, it's, it's amazing. Thank you. You know, thank you. Thank you, Liz. You know, was his response. Now, the man is playing on his computer, on his handheld, reading through. Number one, it didn't have a blue check. Number two, it was started November of 2020, despite the fact that immediately, because of the allegation it was Trump's sister, Elizabeth, right? I've been with Trump now for 15 plus years. I have never heard anybody refer to her as Betty, 
right? I've heard Liz, I've heard Elizabeth, but I've never heard the term Betty. And the fact that he doesn't even know that it's not his own sister goes to show you just how distant he is from reality and where his mindset is, you know, at this exact moment. But, you know, Frank, you were talking about the whole QAnon conspiracy and everything. In August, you wrote a piece also with MSNBC about the encroachment of QAnon adherence in our government. With the election of Republican whack job Marjorie Taylor Greene, it now has become a reality. When asked about the subject, Kevin McCarthy, rather than disavowing the group, asked people to keep an open mind. How fearful should we be in regards to QAnon? And how much power do they possess to elect more representatives to government? Because when I saw this, I was like, no, no, serious? I thought it was a joke. So we've already talked about the power of Trump to perpetuate these extremist wackos through his through a possible media empire and through a lot of followers. And now your 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 last question prompts, you know, the, the query. What else is going to ex- perpetuate these dangerous groups? Well, lo and behold, there's a couple of dozen people out there um, either who have run for Congress or actually won uh, House or Senate seats who in some way, shape or form adhere to some of the QAnon quackery. And people voted for them. I, I can't believe, you know, in uh, northern Georgia, in the R- Rome, Georgia area, they voted for this person. This woman was running against a brain surgeon, a neurosurgeon. And guess who won the election? The QAnon nut. What, what is wrong with us? So, so when you, again, when you do some predictive analysis, hey, will QAnon go away? Will Proud Boys go away? I say, sadly, no, because we've got people serving in the Congress who are going to keep continue to pump this up. And it, it, not to get to a, like a macro problem in our society, but we've got to start teaching kids in grade school about, about um, truth and fake news and how to be a consumer of media and information, or we're, gonna, we're just going to lose control yeah, I, I agree with you. And we don't have that. And nobody knows now what's real or what's not between Facebook and Google and Instagram and with all of these sponsored advertisements or articles that are being written. Um, I want to switch gears for a second and discuss the criminality of Donald Trump and how you prosecute. Well, how would you prosecute a former president? Because yesterday you tweeted the fugitive in the Oval Office a New York Times article detailing the criminal fraud investigation circling Donald Trump and his family. If you, Frank, were tasked with bringing the president to justice for his many possible crimes, including the ones that I've testified to, which is 170 hours, which of these cases do you believe have the most legs to actually see Trump get indicted and possibly prosecuted and why? And then in furtherance, how does the Biden administration actually do this without it devolving into a partisan circus? Or will that happen regardless or just, you know, would you just follow the law? The, the hardest part of, of the uh, answering your question, Michael, is going to be the part about how Biden goes about this without it further dividing the country. And I'll, I'll get to that in a second. Let me let me go writ large about the president. But 
about those in his orbit who have facilitated the damage to our institutions and our democracy. People like Attorney General Barr, going backwards, actually, Attorney General Jeff Sessions, um, Chad Wolf, putting kids in cages, lying about the threat, suppressing intelligence reports, uh, Mike Pompeo. They, they need to be held accountable for the crimes they did against us, against democracy, lest we set an example for future administrations that, hey, we're okay with this kind of thing happening. There's a second reason for going after those people, which is you need them as witnesses to what Trump has done so that you can more successfully charge Trump. And, you know, John Bolton wrote a book that was called The The Room Where It Happened. You need people from the room where it, it happened because they're the ones who are going to be witnesses and are going to flip. So that's the process, whether you're working a mob family, a drug cartel, um, that, that's you know, working your way up. Now, where to charge, who, to, who gets to charge? Um, I, I love the idea of states um, and counties going after the president because, as you know, um, he can't be pardoned for state or, or county crimes. And I think that's likely to succeed, to succeed in that regard. If he doesn't end up getting pardoned or being allowed to pardon himself, the federal charges will, will be very heavy. Um, the tax exposure, every day it seems we learn that he's got additional tax exposure, even exposing his family, his kids. But I have to tell you, where I come from, I'm passionate about the Mueller report and the 10 examples of obstruction of justice which I believe he clearly engaged him in, and I believe was stopped only because of a, a policy memo sitting in a file at DOJ. So if you can't indict a sitting president by policy when he's no longer a sitting president, why would we not try to charge obstruction of justice in the inquiry? Yeah, I, I agree with you. And, and let me just finish with you, your last, the hardest part for last. How does Joe Biden allow this to happen without it being uh, looking partisan? He's got to step back and he's got to say, DOJ, do your thing. Bring the career professionals into this. State of New York, I'm, I'm the president. I'm not the governor or the attorney general of New York. Manhattan, district attorney, I don't oversee you either. But I encourage and you'll have my support. And that's how it's got to happen. Will it divide the country further? I don't know. Um, maybe when people see the truth and see the case against him, maybe they'll start believing, but it needs to happen regardless, Michael. It needs to happen lest this will repeat itself again. Well, I believe that we already are divided more than enough. Well, what I think that Joe Biden should do is I think Joe Biden should elect a Republican to act as, say, the special prosecutor in a case. Therefore, it's not partisan anymore. Take somebody, for example, like John Kasich. John Kasich would be somebody that I would strongly recommend in order to lead as a special prosecutor. And then when you talked about um, John Bolton's book, and I read it, I read it while I was in solitary confinement. I believe that the truth is not somebody saying it as John Bolton did in his book, though I did enjoy the book. I believe the truth is in the documents. And I believe that once the president is out of office, you're going to start to see documents and finger pointing and everyone basically running for cover in order to protect their own ass because the things that they did and they get away with, this is the problem with Donald Trump. Donald Trump, and I am guilty of this, all right? I did this when I was working for him. He makes you believe that you're invincible, 
that you can do whatever you want without repercussion. And what we know is that that's not true. And how we know that, I went to freaking prison, you know, for him and his dirty deeds. So that to me is really what we want. We want the documents. I want the documents in my case. And no more of this fighting because of FOIA requests. I put in a FOIA request and all of a sudden I get back an argument. I get back a fight that you can't have it. Well, why not? Well, there's not a public interest in it. Of course there's a public interest in it. What kind of nonsense is that? Right. So they play every game that they, that they can to delay, delay, delay. And then ultimately, like the New York Times or ABC have done, uh, or, you know, um, so many of the other stations, CNN, MSNBC, they put in these FOIA requests all the time. They get the documents. And then the next thing you know, breaking news, breaking news. You've, you've got a couple of thoughts there. I want to, I want to follow up with one. Um, I'm, I'm wholeheartedly in agreement with, which is at the point that Trump leaves office, we, you, you might as well set up a hotline because <laughs> the documents that people have pulled away, the stories that are going to come out about what really went on in that White House and the crimes that are going to be revealed are going to be astounding. And you literally will need operators standing by on a switchboard for people calling in with with the, with the stories once they feel like they're out from under um, the fear that they may have operated under. Now, so I'm with you on, on, on that aspect of documents playing the role. Absolutely. And boy, do I think that right now as we speak, documents are, are being deleted. People are pressing delete. The shredder's coming out. You know, I, absolutely. Do I think, do I know that that's a crime? Yes, it is. You can't do it. Um, and so we're going to have people, I, we're going to have people charged with destruction of documents. I guarantee you. Now, let me, let me talk about what you raised, uh, another issue though. Get appointing a special prosecutor who is, um, a Republican. Well, does that sound a lot like Robert Mueller to you? I mean, did anybody, did anybody believe more in, you know, if you're a Trump follower, did it help that Mueller was a Republican? Absolutely not. So I, I don't I don't know about that. I don't know. Yeah, good point. Good point. How compromised do you think Rudy Giuliani is from cozying up to Russian assets in the Ukraine and his other dubious work? You know, basically, what are the odds of a Giuliani indictment when this is all over? Yeah, I, I believe there are still active investigations, um, certainly federally. I can't speak to state or county um, of Giuliani. I believe that at least one of them has caught him up in a counterintelligence inquiry um, as to the degree to which he's been compromised and whether or not he's what the Russians call, um, you know, a, 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 a um, helpful idiot or something, you know, that the Russian translation is essentially a helpful idiot. Whether he understands how duped he's been or not, I really don't care anymore. He's now knowingly consorted with Russian agents and intelligence officers. So um, I, I have to tell you, and you're, you're a New Yorker through and through, but I, there was a time in my career when I really respected some of the leadership lessons of Rudy Giuliani. He, he's gone from America's mayor to America's buffoon in an incredibly rapid time. I, I, as a young leader in the FBI, I read his book on leadership and good tips about how he ran the mayor's office, how he listened to his people, 
how he he got plugged in and engaged every single day with morning briefs. And what happened to this man who was U.S. attorney for SDNY? I I don't know, but I can tell you this. He he is compromised now, whether whether it's by uh, personal proclivities, whether it's he's fallen under a cult status in an attempt to remain relevant. I mean, when you go from that kind of global celebrity, 911 mayor, um, and, and now you're seeking relevancy in your last years on the planet, um, you appear willing to do anything. But um, it's an embarrassment. And that press conference with the, with the hair dye running down the sides of his face and his eyes looking like he hadn't slept in days, um, I, I, I don't, I don't know how he recovers from that. And I, I, it, I, I fear this, this ends tragically for him. Um, and I, but I hope I'm wrong. Yeah, actually, I don't. Um, I hope he gets everything that's coming to him and he should lay off the, he should lay off the booze. And it's all about money for Rudy. He's tasted, he's tasted the money. I mean, now robbing the RNC of $20,000 a day for his legal service. I mean, if that's not funnier, right, than Donald Trump's comb over, I don't know what is. But so far, Frank, Bill Barr has also remained on the sidelines of Trump's post-election fight. And no one has done more to protect Donald Trump and advance his agenda while abusing and weaponizing the DOJ than Bill Barr. So why do you think Barr, other than that one memo, has remained largely silent and inactive, especially when Trump needs him right now more than ever? So um, you've touched a sore spot with me because I I did something I've never thought I would do, which is I, I wrote a book. I wrote a book that I had to write, and it's it's launching in January. It's called The FBI Way Inside the Bureau's Code of Excellence. I wrote it because, in large part, not only was I fed up with the bureau bashing by Trump and the damage to our institutions, but I look at it this way. Politicians come and go. If we, if we, we, we can survive four years of Trump, but the attorney general of the United States deciding that he now is the personal lawyer for the president has destroyed the mission of the Department of Justice that, and it cannot be tolerated. So I say, and I think I'm with you on this. I say Barr is the guy in all of this mess, who has not only been the most disappointing, but who's done the most damage. And your question about why, why has he been largely silent? Um, I think he's been, he's working this behind the scenes, but here's the deal. He famously said in an interview for television, when asked this question about how would you think your legacy will come out? He said, history is written by the winners. And I think what's gone on in his head with this election is he realizes He's not on the winning side, and history will be written by someone other than his group, and he is going to look like one of the worst attorney generals in the history of our country, and the best he can hope for is silence at this point. So, you know, as we're winding down in the hour, I want to ask you, on November 9th, you wrote another fascinating article for MSNBC about how to approach having dialogue with a MAGA supporter which stems from your experience as America's top spy catcher and flipping scores of foreign agents. If you can, walk me through your approach, as I personally have no idea how we bridge this divide, especially for those who double down on Donald Trump for a second term. How do you tell this person that they're wrong 
when you can't even agree on basic facts? Okay, so I want to first say that I harbor no illusions that this country is going to come together quickly or we're going to solve all of our polarization problems. It, it's not going to happen soon. But here's the deal. I, and the, the article you're referring to talks about the methods used by FBI agents and CIA officers when they're trying to recruit someone on the other side to come and play with us. That article got perhaps the least number of clicks of any column I've ever written. That told me that Americans are not yet even willing to read the headline. They saw the headline on that article about coming together and they said, no, I'm not reading that. Screw that whole concept of coming together. But if they had read it, here's what they would have read. That in the spy world, when you're trying to recruit an adversary, you aren't trying to embrace their ideology. You aren't saying, I'm your buddy. You aren't saying, I see your point. What you're saying is, for the good of the country, I need to be your friend right now and listen. And I need to stop demonizing you and calling you evil because we've got to get along because the mission is to save this country. It's bigger than me and my dislike for you as a Russian agent, or in this case, my dislike for you as a MAGA Trumpster. It's about the good of the country. And we've got to hold our nose and do it and treat each other more like humans and less like demons and evil adversaries. Frank, well said. Uh, and I read the article, so at least one of those clicks was from me. <laughs> Let me ask you one last thing as we're going to then wrap this thing up. Who do you think is going to be on Trump's pardon list at the end of this? I think let, let's start with the most disinteresting person, which would be a guy named Donald J. Trump. Um, I actually think if he can't convince Pence, like, you know, if we, you, you, you've heard this scenario play out where, hey, a couple of days before January 20th, he resigns, Pence agrees to pardon him. As, as the president, and uh, he gets off the hook. So if we can't see that happen, we're going to see him try to pardon himself. Um, legal scholars far greater than me, because uh, I don't consider myself a legal scholar, um, have said that's probably that's probably unlawful. That's probably not what the intention was, and he probably that probably won't hold up, pardoning yourself. So, But he's going to try. So let's move on from him. Um, uh, the kids are going to be a... a, a playing in this and he's going to he's going to try and be a humanitarian or appear to be one and and do that but here's how this is going to work even with a mob boss you look around you and you go who are the people who can do the most damage to me who know the most and are more likely to flip and and you pardon them thereby taking them out of commission um in terms of flipping against you so he'll he'll be very practical about that um, and he's he's seeded that battlefield by by pardoning people that no one cares about. But if you look carefully, you know, I pardoned Scooter Libby. Why, why did you pardon Scooter Libby? Well, because, you know, um, he was charged with obstruction or leaking or. OK, so you, what you're getting us numb to is the idea that you can do those pardons. I see we're getting numb to this now. He'll look around him, figure out who, who's got the worst dirt and who's most likely to flip and you'll start seeing them go down. Be careful with that. That's a two-edged sword, because once they're pardoned, a grand jury can call, right? And say, hey, 
you're not exposed anymore. You got to talk to us. That's right. You have that's right. You have no Fifth Amendment rights. But just to give you um, a quick answer, Scooter Libby, he did because his base wanted it. Because there was somebody of significance, a money person that was breathing in his ear and saying, you know what? It's not even relevant at this point. Just give the guy a freaking pardon. It doesn't mean anything to you. It can hurt you, right? All it could do is just shore up your base. But then you talked about something about Donald Trump being practical. Who could hurt him the most? And talking about pardons. Well, what about me early on? It's not as if the pardon power only comes at the end of somebody's term, right? That's usually when they try to do it the most. But he knew at the end that I was I would have to tell the truth, which is what I did when I was standing before the various congressional committees. So Donald Trump is not practical. This is not about the way you would look at it as a trained FBI intelligence officer, right? Donald Trump is illogical. As I say, he's arrogant and he's ignorant. And it's a very serious problem because, yes, he'll he'll try to pardon the children. But then again, will that hurt his with the base? Will that hurt him with the people that he's going to go for the $4.99 a month with? That's all that he's thinking about. And maybe, just maybe, Don Jr. may have to do a little bit of time Right. In order for me to be able to keep my media company growing and not screw things up with the base. Or maybe it has to be Eric or maybe Ivanka or maybe Steve Bannon is right. Or or somebody else, whoever it's going to be. He doesn't care as long as it's not him. You're right. There is. This is there's no rhyme or reason to that. And the only this last thought I have is the only good thing about that, Michael, is that people slip up badly when they do it on on uh, spur of the moment, or they do it on emotions only. And we can only hope that somehow his pardons will slip up. Um, but it's going to it's gonna happen. And, you know, we're going to start seeing it probably in a couple of weeks. From your mouth to God's ears, thank you so much for your time, Frank. Really appreciate it. And I'm going to take you up on that offer with the book. Sounds good. Thank Be you. healthy. Thank you. Take care. Bye. And now for today's Mayor Culpa. After you've been to prison and experienced the trauma of solitary confinement and the degradation and abuse at the hands of sadistic guards, you don't wish the experience upon your worst enemy. To a majority of you, prison is most likely an abstract subject, something you know from television and films, but not something you think about on a day-to-day -day basis. But for me, prison is still my life. Despite my release from Otisville, I'm still a federal prisoner. Sure, I'm serving my time in relative luxury, and most of you might swap your day-to-day -day existence for my confinement. Nevertheless, under the eye of the government, I am still a convict and must wear an ankle monitor. I'm allowed out only two hours a day. That said, I am at home, surrounded by the people that I love, and I'm free to do this podcast and other endeavors. All things considered, I am not complaining. But the prison system is a horrifying place meant to punish and break a man's will, and it is as close to hell as one can imagine. It is the end of the line for most, the final way station for a life misspent and abused. It's where this country throws away its garbage and builds more to keep us hidden away from the light of day, lest we remind them of who we are and where we came from. Sure. 
I met some incredible people in prison, men who made mistakes and are dutifully doing their time and doing their best to make amends for their deeds. But I also saw the frustration of those who had nothing to begin with and will have less than nothing when they get out. I saw those who were truly institutionalized and instilled with what they call the convict's mentality, meaning they can now only function in a correctional setting. It is a truly depressing state of affairs. And you want to see sadness? Come spend time in a prison visiting room as convicts and families attempt to create some sense of normalcy and attachment for a few hours. I say all of this not to gain your sympathy. I made mistakes and I did things for which I deservedly was punished and I did my time. Instead, I am revealing to you the seriousness in which I take the concept of prison and incarceration in general. And if I said I wouldn't wish it upon my worst enemy, then I misspoke, for Donald Trump is most definitely my worst enemy. And despite all I just laid out about the horrors and deprivation of incarceration, it is where Donald Trump truly fucking belongs. He has destroyed so many lives and never once has he had to face any consequences for his actions. Other people have paid his bills and for his crimes until now. But we must have the fortitude and conviction to go forth and see this through. Put Donald Trump in prison. And thanks for listening. Maya Culpa is brought to you by LSJ Media and Audio Up in association with Midas Touch. And it's hosted by me, Michael Cohen. Produced by Audio Up by Jimmy Jelnick and executive producer Jared Gustav. And it's edited by Tyler Dawson. Please stay tuned as we focus on the changing political moment and this unprecedented transfer of power. I'll be with you every step of the way. Mea culpa, nothing but the truth. It's clear to you that de-icing the wings will not be done in a jiffy. You look for phone outlets but see none. Only photos of phone outlets. A voice announces your gate is now 39C-12B-9A. It's like musical chairs if musical chairs made you sob in the pet relief area. A child picking his nose stares. His parents have abandoned him. The airport will raise him now. Don't let flight delays ruin your vacation. Go on a real vacation. Go RVing.